0: Yeah, Father, we just want to be a church without walls. Lord, we want to see the wind of the Spirit. And wherever we go, we want to see salvation. We want to see healing. We want to see hope. We want to see restoration, Father. And Lord, I thank you for all the things that you're just quickening, which is ahead of us. And Father, we want to step into it now. Lord, we don't want to wait for a future date. Lord, we know that these promises are available to us now. And Father, we thank you for that. Amen. Good stuff, eh? Well, over the last few times that I've been uh, sharing with you, we've been in a series called Seeing Jesus. We're really putting our focus on Jesus. We want to get to know him more, don't we? We want to look at him more. We want to see him more. And uh, so what we've been doing is we've been taking various people in the Gospels and looking at the, the encounters that the people had with Jesus and then looking at at the way that that reveals his nature and his character, and even how we can interact with him now, what it means for us to see Jesus. You know, my goal for our church is that we would continue in our pursuit of knowing Jesus. You see, I'm convinced that if we see Jesus more clearly, we will love him more completely, and ultimately our lives will be transformed to be more like him. And so today what I want to continue on is is looking at Jesus is a friend. Jesus is a friend. But before I do that, you know, before I go into that concept of Jesus being a friend, I think we need to understand something really important. You know, God's initial design and intent was for friendship. His his initial design and intent was for friendship with us. You see, I I think sometimes we get into that place where we think that the God is looking for just submission from us. But he's not. He's, he's looking for friendship as well. He's not looking for just rulership and lordship, but he's looking for friendship as well. You know, I think you can see that at the very beginning when you look at, look at his relationship with Adam and Eve. I mean, there was a relationship that was actually a friendship. It actually describes how before Adam and Eve fell, when they ate the forbidden fruit, before that we see God walking in the garden to talk with them. There's this picture of God coming and talking to them, interacting with them. He had a friendship with them. Genesis 3 verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. When the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? See, there's this picture that we see that when God created us, he desired, what he desired was to actually come and fellowship with us. Not to just simply rule over us and control us, but to actually interact with us, to connect with us at a deep personal level. And one of the things that we lost at the fall was this fellowship with God. When the fall happened, there was a separation from God and this friendship was actually lost. And because of that, rules were, in, were um, brought in. Religion was brought into place and relationship with God became one of rules and submission. But, you know, if we look at the Old Testament, we see also a picture. There are glimpses in the Old Testament where someone would grab hold of that concept and again walk with God as a father. I mean, we see it as an Abraham. James 2.23 says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Wow. And that's what I want on my tombstone. <laughs> I'm not going there yet, but that's what I want when I do go. Well, he was a friend of God. Abraham actually lived as a friend of God. The same with Moses Exodus 33, verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. David is also a great picture of this. In fact, David is probably the most profound picture of this in the Old Testament. He really demonstrated in the Old Testament what a New Testament believer should look like. You see, David had this relationship with God that was casual in nature in the sense that it looked like a friendship. You think about it, David's tabernacle, which you, you, you may have heard of, he set this up in the Old Testament, and it was the most unique place of worship in the Old Testament. You had the, mo- the tabernacle of Moses which came before him, which was made up of, of varying um, levels, if you like, with curtains and walls. And you couldn't just walk in. You could only go into certain parts of it. and You had to go through ceremonial cleansings and all sorts of things to be acceptable. And the same with the temple that was going to be eventually built. There was so many levels. And in fact, only the, the high priest, could go in once a year into the presence of God. But when David built his tabernacle, he threw up a tent, and there were no veils. There were no walls. David comes, and he throws up this tent, and he sticks the ark in there, and there's no veil. And this was the relationship he had. And during his reign, other people had the same relationship as well. It was a friendship concept. And this is one of the things that I think we need to know when we get into the life of Jesus. We need to understand that God desires friendship. He desires friendship from us. This is what he was looking for when he created man, when he created Adam and Eve. This is what he's looking for, and this is what was restored when Jesus came. You see it when Jesus came. we, We see from him that he was God, fully man. So he came in the flesh to save mankind, but he just didn't come as Lord and Saviour. He came as friend. He came to restore this concept of God, this thing that God was desiring from us, friendship. You see, we tend to, as Christians and, and our Christian creeds, we start that Jesus was born of a virgin and that he died. And we forget that there's 33 years in between. And those 33 years were born of what? Relationship, connection, connection with people. Jesus didn't just kind of zoom in, do his thing, die, zoom out again. He came and he related to people. Why? Because that was a significant thing, connecting. He interacted with his disciples. He lived with them. He walked with them. He shared meals with them. He did life with them. He built a friendship with them. So much so, you know, that at the very end of, of, of the, at the end, when Judas betrayed him, Judas comes to betray him with a, a, a kiss and he says, friend, what are you doing? Jesus says to Judas, still calls him friend. He actually refers to Judas as a friend so at the, when he's going to betray him because that's how Jesus built Friendship. He says at one stage, he says, it's interesting, he's talking to the religious leaders, he says, it's interesting you call me a, a, a drunkard and a, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And we often hold on to that and we think, yep, Jesus is a, is a, is a friend of, of sinners and tax collectors. He became friends with them. But then we think somehow when we stop being sinners, he stops being our friend and he becomes our Lord. And that we no longer have that kind of relationship with him. That now we've got to obey a whole lot of rules and regulations. That when we get saved, what he demands from us is obedience and service. But Jesus says, No, what I long for, what I desire, is I desire friendship with you. A friendship. And, you know, I think this is sometimes hard for us to wrap our heads around. See, I think many of us struggle with the idea of approaching God as a friend. You know, we want to be reverent to God. We want to, we want to revere him and we want to be in awe of him. And somehow it just seems at odds to be a friend with him. It's such a, a, a religious thing, I guess. You know, you know, when Jesus came and taught, he was teaching a Jewish culture. That knew who God was. They knew him as creator. They knew him as judge. They knew him as almighty. They knew him as holy and righteous. They knew God in that capacity. But then Jesus shows up and says, I want to give you a fresh revelation. He didn't get rid of that understanding of who God was. But he said, I want to bring a new revelation. He said, listen, there's been an aspect of his character and nature you've been missing out on. It's something that you need to understand. If you're going to fully experience God, if you're going to fully experience God, then you need to understand this God is a father and God is a friend. Because you see, the Jewish people didn't understand that, they didn't understand the concept of God being a father. You read the Old Testament, I can't remember, I think there's only about 20 references to God in any capacity as a father and often relating to David. And yet he hears Jesus and he comes and he says, listen guys, my dad up in heaven, total blasphemy. He wants to be your friend, total blasphemy. That's why they wanted to stone him. His teaching was so radical, they were so revolutionary. They shook the religious a tenor to the absolute core. This is why they were so upset with him. Because he came and he introduced God as father and friend. Jesus came into the Jewish culture that honoured God in a deep way and friendship was totally out of place. They had taken God and lifted him so high that he was no longer now able to be connected to in a real way. You know, it's really interesting if you think about the, 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 the culture that Jesus came and taught in. I mean, it was a Jewish culture which we all know about. And it's interesting how the scribes copied the Old Testament and the Torah, the Torah being the first five books of the Bible. You know, sometimes a lot of people say, well, how can we trust the Bible? How do we know the, the documents are, 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 are good because they're thousands of years old? Well, one of the reasons that we have confidence in the documents is because the absolute incredible way the scribes actually copied the Torah, the Old Testament. I mean, the the way the way they did it was so profound, and 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 it reveals so much about how they approach God. And um, because you see, I just want to give you a little bit of background. In five eighty six BC. Uh, Jerusalem was was destroyed by the Babylonians and all the people were taken off in the captivity. And of course, you know, they were in captivity for seventy years. And then according to the Bible, Ezra they, they came back to um, Jerusalem, and in the process of coming back, Ezra recovered a copy of the Torah, say the first five books Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And he read them aloud to the nation. And that just blew the, the, the minds of everybody. And they had this one copy, and from that point on, the scribes started copying it. And uh, they had specific rules for copying the, the, the Torah. I only want to face it two on one, but I just thought it would be interesting to see them all. Number one, they could only use clean animal skins, both the right eye on and even the bind the manuscripts. Number two, each column of writing could have no less than 48 and no more than 60 lines. The ink must be black and of a special recipe. There must be a review within 30 days, and if there are as many as three pages required corrections, the entire manuscript had to be redone. Slack like you off if you've got the Deuteronomy the very end. Anyhow, number five, they must be verbalised each word aloud while they were writing it. Number seven: six: The letters, words and paragraphs had to be counted, and the document became invalid if two letters touched each other. The middle paragraph, word and letter must correspond to those of the original document. Seven: the documents could be stored only in sacred places, like synagogues, etc. Eight. As no document containing God's word could be destroyed, they were stored or buried in a geniza, a Hebrew team meaning hiding place. These were usually kept in synagogues and sometimes in Jewish cemeteries. This is why things like the Dead Sea Scrolls were found and they were so accurate because of the accuracy. But look at number nine. This is one I wanted to focus on. They must wipe the pen and wash their entire bodies before writing the word Jehovah every time they wrote it. Isn't that incredible. So when they came back from captivity, they instituted all these rules and regulations. Why? Because this was the reverence they had for God and the reverence they had for His Word. So these, these scribes who were actually copying the Torah, I mean, they would stop and they would go, they would look at the letter A, A, B, B, and they would speak at each one out, because they and but then when it came to the name Jehovah, they dared not. Because it was the name of God, dare not be unclean. So they would wipe the pen and they would go through a ceremonial cleaning. They would, every time they wrote the word Jehovah. This is how high up and distant they had God. And in this culture comes Jesus. They had a great awe for God, God a great reverence for God. And in some ways, I mean, you've got to respect that. You know, I think sometimes. Quite frankly, we in the West don't actually have a reverence towards God. That's a whole nother sermon. But but God, uh, Jesus came into this environment and he said, Guess what? You can now be a friend of God. You can now be a friend with God. Can you imagine how radical it would have been? It would have been stunning. I, I think it's actually almost impossible for us to comprehend. I think the Jewish people really struggled with it. and In fact, to me, really, I think John, the disciple John, caught it the most. He caught something, and he interacted in a way that, God, that Jesus was desiring what God was looking for. He captured what Jesus was talking about, both in how he interacted with Jesus and how he wrote it. I mean, John 3.23, Jesus is about to reveal the person who's who going to betray him. And the disciples are wanting to know who it is. And they can't figure it out. So they want to know. So they ask the one who is closest to Jesus, who is it going to be? Now, remember, this is John writing about John. And this is what he says. Now, there was, a, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Now, there's a man who's confident <laughs> in his relationship. The one who Jesus loved. He says it again at the very end of the book, John 21, 20. They're walking, and and again, John describing himself, Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also leaned on the breast at the supper. You see, the encounter that John had was a revelation that God is actually looking for friendship. I mean, we say that so easily, oh, we're friends, but there's an actual invitation that God is drawing us into, something far deeper. Something beyond uh, 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 the pale. It's, it's, It's that place of deep intimacy, of relationship. He's looking for people who will draw close to him in this capacity of friendship. You see, when Jesus taught, he wasn't afraid of the concept. And I think John understood that. In John 15, he captures again what Jesus taught. Greater love Has no one than this, and they lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. See, John understood that Jesus wasn't scared of calling us into friendship. See, sometimes we think that if we have friendship, somehow it will mean that we will dishonor, that there'll be a dishonoring in that. But you know, we can still have reverence for God and we can still keep him in awe. We can still keep him in that right place and actually embrace friendship. I mean, Jesus says to us, listen, you're no longer servants because God is not looking for rulership over you, but he's looking for friendship with you. He's not looking just for submission. He's looking for friendship. And so John begins to embrace this in his own personal life. He begins to embrace it. But see, we have this problem. We don't want to cross this line and become irreverent. You know, and I mean, look, I understand that. If the queen walked in the room right now, we would probably, I hope, stand and say, Your Majesty. We wouldn't say, Hey, Liz, how you doing? Uh-huh. <laughs> We'd address her with reverence. There's a reverence there. And there's this thought that if we go into friendship, that then somehow we'll lose reverence. But I'm telling you, you know what? Jesus wasn't afraid of that. He invited us. He desires friendship from us. You know, it's one of, interesting. One of the things that we've been told as pastors is we shouldn't have any friendships with any of you. We've actually been told that by other pastors. They've actually said, oh, no, you shouldn't have friendships with, with, with people in your church. Because if you do that, it will, it will make it hard for, for, for the, the, the thing of, of teaching and ministering and leading. They'll no longer respect or follow me, Janelle. <laughs> <laughs> and to stay healthy, you know, we, we've got to keep this distance. But Jesus broke all that down. He said, "You can still honor, respect and obey and be friends." Yes. We're so afraid of our friendship it'll become casual that it will move into disrespect that we, we actually push away, and we don't allow Jesus to come close and be our friend. But Jesus comes and says, "Hey, listen, I'm revealing the very heart and nature of God to you." And guess what? When you look at me, you see God, and I'm actually wanting to build build friendship. That's what God has always desired from the very beginning, is relationship. Where he can walk and interact with us. Those people who he can share his heart with. Those who will share their hearts with him. Those that he can walk with. Those that he can interact with at a deep level. That is what he's looking for. You know, one of the amazing things, I think one of the most amazing stories is actually about Judas. Judas, you know, the scripture teaches us he stole the money, he's going to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that. But you know what? None of the disciples could tell that it was Judas by the way Jesus interacted with him. Jesus treated him as a friend. Jesus always reached out to him. The level of of interaction, of risk-taking, was always there. You know, some time ago I got an email one time from someone who, who was kind of attending Liberty and, and, and um, a couple of times, and they had a real gripe because they were complaining about the way I talk about relationship with God. And uh, they'd kind of gone on the whole bandwagon of, you know, oh man, you guys are treating Jesus like a girlfriend. I don't know if you've kind of heard that. But we were just too casual and too respectful. You know, I wrote back and I said, look, obviously I don't want to treat Jesus like a girlfriend, but man, I very much disagree with you. I believe that, that, that we are here to help people to come to a place where they relate to God in an intimate friendship way. And, and this idea that, that we have to keep authority without any friendship is totally wrong. You know, with this idea that we, we don't want to be friends with authority figures, we don't want to be friends with bosses. Listen, you can be full of honour, full of obedience, and still walk with someone as a friend. Walk with someone as a friend. You know, I think that's what Jesus does. He comes and says, hey, guess what? This is what I represent. I'm your Lord. I'm your saviour. But you know what? I'm also your friend. I'm your friend. That's the kind of relationship God is after. That's what God desires. God desires. Jesus wants to walk with us as a friend. Hebrews 1.9 says that Jesus and God anointed Jesus with the oil of gladness and joy more than all his companions. You know, one of the things that I think would go a long way if we realise that Jesus and God actually are happy sometimes. <laughs> you know, they're not eternally ticked off. I mean, somehow we've really got that in, in, in the church, that Jesus is ticked off with us and that he's so concerned about sin. I've got news for you, folks. Your your sin doesn't scare God. He's bigger than that. He's bigger than that. One of the things we need to realize is that God enjoys doing life with us. We need to understand it. And this is really important, that if you're not experiencing friendship with God, then you're not experiencing the fullness of God that's available to you. Excuse me. If you're not experiencing friendship with God, you're not experiencing the fullness of God that is available. You see, God, Jesus actually enjoyed living life with people. He didn't kind of hover a foot off the ground all over Galilee, he interacted with people in very real ways. I mean, Jesus was right into the clubbing scene of, Galilee, of Nazareth. You know what I'm saying? And they welcomed him. He didn't have to compromise, but they welcomed him because they, they, he, he could connect with them. He was interested. Jesus, it says, was the happiest amongst all his friends. I alluded to this scripture before, Luke seven thirty four. Yeah, when the Son of Man came and went to feasts and drinks, and, to drink, and drank wine, you said, look at this man. He is nothing but a glutton and a drunkard. He spends all his time with tax collectors and other notorious sinners. And Jesus is talking about himself there. And he says, I came in a way you didn't expect, to, expect me to do that. I showed up having meals with people. I showed up enjoying life with people. I showed up sitting around with people. And you have a problem with that? See, religion had become this thing to push people away from God. Religion pushes you away from God. True Christianity, true um, yeah, Christianity, invites you into a deeper, meaningful relationship with Him. You know, see, so many people have lived in the church all their lives, their Christian life has been determined by rules and regulations. And saying stuff like this may actually even sound heretical. Just, we, we think God is so serious. He's all business. It's about business, business, business. Yeah, you know? like he's serious, he's saying, be my friend, it's not like that guys, <laughs> I remember one time in a, in a life group we were in, and, and um, we were just kind of, it was a newish life group, and so we're going around doing icebreakers, and, and so just to do the icebreaker, one of the questions I asked was, if you were, what's your favourite meal, and I put it in the concept of, if you were going to die tonight, what would be your favourite meal, what would be the meal you'd eat? And you can imagine something like that. There's lots of fun. Everybody's laughing and saying things, and it just gets you know crazier and weirder as the night goes on. And we came to one person, and I'm sure that their heart was in a good place, but he said, <coughs> If I was going to die tonight, I wouldn't eat a meal. I would go out on the street and share Jesus. And I sort of, yeah, that's good, but, you know, and I, we're, we're having fun. Let's just push back on that a little bit. And I tried to put, no, I'm going to preach the gospel. And look, as I say, you know, he had a good heart, but, and I want people to get saved. I really do. I really do. But I feel so sad that we've so categorized God into the stern disciplinarian who actually doesn't enjoy life. He created us, folks. And yes, there are problems in the world, and yes, there is hardship, but he also gave us the thing of joy. And we need to be able to realise that. Jesus was about fun. He enjoys sharing meals with us. He's not the stern, demanding, distant God. As I say, when you read the Gospels, one of the key things is how much people wanted to hang around him. Why? Because he was the one carrying all the joy. They said, this man's got something. I want to be around him. I want to find out what he's doing. And he loves being a friend to you. He really does. Zephaniah 3.17, which is one of my life verses. The Lord your God in the midst of you, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The Amplified Bible puts it this way. The Lord your God... Is in the midst of you, a mighty one, a savior who saves. He rejoices over you with joy. He will rest in silent satisfaction and his love, he will be silent and make no mention of past sins or even recall them. He will exalt you over you with singing. You know, the whole idea of that verse, you read that, is God is excited about you. He's thrilled with you. He's moved by you. He sings and dances over you. God gets off his throne and says, well, I'm just going to have a little bit of a shindig today, you know, and I'm going to do it over Tuvalu. Hey, Tuvalu. You know, and then he, he moves on to the next person. He's excited about us. He's excited about us. He's not some distant, removed authority figure who keeps a stern eye on us. His desire is to have abiding, intimate friendship with you. And she had a cool cool story about that verse. I was at Manifest Presence this year, and I was down just chatting to some other friends. And this woman came up to me, and she said, excuse me, can I just talk to you? And I said, yeah, sure. She said, you um, preach at liberty, don't you? I said, yeah. She said, about 26 years ago, she said, you preached a sermon one night on Zephaniah 3.17. She said, I heard that verse, and that transformed my life. And from that day on, I've lived in a close relationship with God because of that verse. thought, wow, isn't that awesome? She caught the secret. He wants deep, intimate friendship. And it changed her life. You see, he wants, he desires, he loves being a friend to you. Here's my secret for starting a prayer life. If you want to develop a meaningful prayer life, you know, I talk to people sometimes, they say, oh man, I, I just can't seem to get into prayer. I'm struggling to how to get into prayer. I, I, you know, I, I want to go in and see and I want to push in. And quite frankly, I just sort of say, well, <laughs> chill out. Chill out. You don't have to be so intense. You know? If you were wanting to know, know someone, how, what would you do? Well, probably get a coffee and sit down and chat to them. why don't you get a coffee and go and chat to God I'm serious grab a coffee and go for a walk with Jesus that will increase your prayer life because you get to that place where you stop talking in religious terminology and you begin to talk to him about things that are going on you interact with him as a friend and you know what he wants to know he actually wants to know about your good days and he does want to know about your bad days I mean, you should be able to get in your car at night and say, Well, Jesus, <laughs> that sucked. <laughs> Not happy about that day at whatsoever. You know, learn to interact with him. He wants to know. Do you know that? He wants to know. And what is more, he wants to share with you what is on his heart. Truly, he's wanting to talk to you. Do you know that? He actually wants to share with you things that are on his heart. Because he says you're no longer a servant, you're his friend. And he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the one that walks with us and carries our burdens. He really does want to abide with us. It's not like, oh, well, in the Gospels he was friendly and and human, but now it's different because he's glorified and he's a risen Lord. He still wants to be your friend. Jesus is looking to come and walk in the garden of your heart. He wants to interact with you, to be a friend with you, for, you, for him to hear from you and for you to hear from him. And sometimes people will say, but, but listen, if I become friends with God, then what's my motivation to obey him? Because he says, if you're my friend, you'll obey me. And we have this concept that, that, that it needs to be a boss to be able to motivate us. But let me tell you, I believe that friendship is very connected to obedience in the kingdom. The more motivated to obey is when I have developed a friendship than the punishment thing. When I have a friendship, it's, it's more about that's when I, my response is more towards them than when I just think I'm going to get punished. If he's as far-removed God as a creator and a judge, then obedience thing becomes a a mechanical thing. But when he's my friend, then obedience has life because I want to protect my relationship with him. I don't want to do something that will hurt this relationship. I don't want to do something that will, will disconnect the relationship that I have with him. So I want to obey him because I want to protect this thing of friendship. You see, Jesus is our friend. He revealed this as He walked on the earth, and it revealed the very nature and character of God. And they're not at odds. We can have respect and honor and awe for Him and still be friends. We really can. You know, and this even feels a little bit weird to say, but there is a casual aspect to our friendship. Just go and be a friend of Jesus. He's not as intense as you think he is. He does want to know what, what is significant in your life. He does want to know how you feel. He does want to interact with you. And so much of friendship is about creating memories together. Creating memories together. And that's what he's inviting us into. Some of my most meaningful times Sir, by me walking in my door in my office, sitting on my couch and just closing my eyes and just going, oh, thank you, thank you. And just attuning my heart, not speaking, just attuning my heart, just being aware of his presence, just drinking deep of his presence, just abiding in his, I know he's here. and I know that I might have just stuffed up royally, but I know he's here and he's still welcoming me, and he's still loving me. And we might have a chat about how I stuffed up, but it's always done with a love and a friendship. You know, you talk to people who have got some heroes of the faith, and as you talk to them, you become very, very aware that they have personal encounters with God that they'll never preach on or share on. But that's what the fire is that burns inside them. Because God has shared things with them. Because you see, friends share things with friends. And it does touch people. It really does touch people. And it's what friends do. They share things with f- friends. And that's what I want, you know. I want to be in that place. That's one of my prayers. Jesus, teach me how to be a better friend. Teach me how to be a better friend. Man, I want all the souls. I want to see people saved. I want to be about seeing the kingdom expand. I want to see healings. I want to see breakthroughs. I want to see people's lives. I really do. That's what I'm on this earth for. But in terms of long-term motivation and stability, uh, sorry, sustainability, I understand that the only way I can live like that fully is by experiencing the fullness of God. And that fullness of God is experienced when I walk as a friend with him. And that's what Jesus came to show us. He's not just a friend with sinners. And once I'm saved, I've got to work really hard. He's your friend. And my, I guess, invitation to you over the next few months even is to take time over summer and begin to increasingly cultivate an awareness of your friend Jesus will you stand with me you know you remember that song we used to sing at Sunday school he walks with me he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own it's a bit of a platitude but it's a reality it's a real reality in our lives you know God is talking to you all the time you know that It's just that we have so much what I call, you know, it's called white noise, so much static in the background, we actually don't hear them. We actually don't hear them. We've we've almost trained ourselves to be so busy with other stuff that we actually lose the idea that God is actually talking. And it can just come in and pressure. I mean, sometimes I'll be driving along the road and and someone's name will just come into my, my mind, bang. And then it's, you know, oh, okay, am I to pray for him? Am I to give him a ring? What is it all about? Sometimes God just tells me things. Yeah? And I try to, thank goodness for cell phones, because eh? now when you're in a car talking, people think you're on a cell phone. Whereas in the past, they just used to look at you really strange, and they used to start, you know, ringing 111. We've got a little cuckoo here. But now they just think you're talking on your phone. So you can talk, you can celebrate, you can enjoy Jesus, and it's okay. So that's, that's good times for me. Why don't we just take a moment right now? Just close our eyes. Just centre yourself on him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Father, I... Oh, wow. Jesus, I thank you for the gift of friendship. I thank you that, that today I didn't, and I guess you guys are glad too, that I didn't have to clean a pen, go through a ceremonial wash or anything else, but that we just came into the very presence of God and we just enjoyed you. And Father, I pray that, that in the season ahead, we will not just categorise you and put you into places of worship, but that we will learn to walk with you. We will learn to walk with you as friends. You know, that's what it means to walk with God. We—it's uh, not about a quiet time. If you do a quiet time, it's not about getting up at whatever time and reading the scripture and praying. That's important, and I recommend it. But it's actually not about that. It's about learning to walk in His presence all day long. That we can be so aware, whatever it's doing—you can be climbing a mountain, you can be building a house, you can be working in an office, you can be teaching. Whatever you're doing, Jesus is there. And Father, I thank you for that. Jesus, I thank you for being my friend, for being our friend. And Lord, I pray that you would just increase that into our lives. Lord, we hear you calling us. And Lord, I'm so, th- I'm so blown away that my friend would hang on a cross for me. There's no greater love, it says, than a friend who would lay down his life for you. And Jesus, I thank you that you laid down your life for us. And Father, I pray that we would learn to walk in the fullness of experiencing God through the gift of friendship. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.